All right, you guys ready for this new series? We're talking about winning your battles and really diving into spiritual warfare and the victorious life that God's called us to. And so as I was preparing, I was recounting a very intense experience I had. I was in complete camo, hiding in the, the bushes, uh, enemy, enemy um, bullets going over my head, whizzing over my head, and my heart's pounding. And then I hear the sound of boots crashing through the brush right at me. And so I realize the only way to get out of this is if I make a run for it. And so I go from a completely crouched position to throwing myself forward. As I do that, I hear this loud pop and I've torn my hamstring. And so I start screaming, I hit the ground, and when I hit the ground, I actually get shot. And at that moment, I realized that that was the end of the red team's opportunity to capture the flag in the paintball game I was in. (laughs) And that's um, kind of a silly illustration. While I know that for some in this church, we're so thankful for you that have actually been in, in war situations defending our country. So we thank you for that. Amen. And uh, also for different first responders, police, sheriff's department, we're so grateful for you. I share the closest thing that I've experienced to warfare for the sake of illustration to express this point that I wasn't prepared, I wasn't trained, and I wasn't stretched out. And so I came out of the experience with with an injury. And so today, I want to prepare you for the battle that we find ourselves in, because the scripture says that in this world, we're living in a battle. And so I want to start in Revelation chapter 12, maybe not a scripture that's often preached upon, but very important for us to understand the situation we find ourselves in. So if you want to open your Bibles to Revelation 12, we'll also put it on the screen. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus, by the way. And by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. In 1997, I had the opportunity to study abroad in London, England at Westminster School. And on the weekends, I'd travel around to see the different sites of Great Britain. And what you'll start discovering is as you tour the United Kingdom, that many of the historical sites are, are actually denoting one of the most significant historic events that happened there, and that was the Second World War. And so there's plaques to people who died. There's, there's memorials for different battles that were fought. And one of the interesting ones that was very near me in, in that school in central London was actually under a nondescript office building. But when you went down several levels, you came into Winston Churchill's war room. 
It was a center of command for the Allied forces. And what you'd notice in this room was all these charts and these maps and these models with how the planes were coming in, the tanks, the soldiers, all for one purpose, and that was to expose the schemes and the plans of the enemy. And so today, this might look like a normal church, but I want to say welcome to the war room where we're going to expose on a large scale the plans and schemes and plots of the enemy who's waging war against the body of Christ. You are in a war, whether you like it or not. Now, the problem is that much of the church doesn't see themselves in that way, and it's much due to the worldview that we grow up in. Instead of having a biblical worldview, in the 17th century, at the time of what's called the Enlightenment, Much of our thinking moved from a spiritual mindset to a secular humanistic mindset. And all things that started happening on earth were thought to have a scientific explanation behind it. Now, in no way am I coming against science today in the fact that I'm so thankful for so many discoveries and breakthroughs in in transportation and in medicine and in the quality of life. But I do want to say... That regardless of what people believe, we live in a spiritual universe. And all of our lives, on a daily basis, are affected by spiritual forces. And that's a biblical worldview. And that's what we need to live at as the people of God. Because the Bible is true. And so let me unpack some biblical principles today for you to understand the war that we live in. Today, we're talking about the introduction to the battle. So point number one, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to, today is going to be a deeper teaching day. Point number one, very simple, the Bible says that there is a God and that there is a devil. The Bible says that the world we live in is one that is created by God, but that there's also an enemy and his name is the devil. Now, today in America, even among secular people, 90% of people would say that there's a God. It's absolutely amazing to hear that. 90% of people in America say that there's a God. But when you start getting to the point of who believes in a literal devil, the percentages go dramatically down. In fact, The latest research I just read this week is that only 55% of evangelical Christians believe that there's a literal devil. And then among Catholics, 17% believe that there's a literal devil. And why is it so important that we believe that there's a devil? Because if you don't believe there's an enemy, you do nothing to make a defense against him. It's kind of like there being an evil person on the street wanting to destroy you, but since you don't believe he's out there, you don't lock the door, shut the windows, and call the police. So let's talk about the devil for a minute and unveil some of his schemes. But before we do that, I just want to say this reminds me of of Great Britain, this, this whole concept, because at the time of World War II, there were three different prime ministers of Great Britain. One was Neville Chamberlain. Now, Neville Chamberlain had a particular way of seeing Adolf Hitler. He thought Adolf Hitler, in the end, wasn't that bad of a guy that he could be reasoned with, and that that, that Great Britain and the Third Reich, through negotiations and some good diplomacy, could come to peace with each other. And all the while, he just sat and tried to just make friends, and through diplomacy, the Third Reich was taking one country after another and decimating millions of innocent lives. 
But then there was another prime minister. His name was Winston Churchill. And Churchill knew that Adolf Hitler was an evil man bent on destruction. And so Churchill said these words to his country. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. And we shall never surrender. Can I just tell you, you're in a fight. And Christian, it's time to pick up the weapons of spiritual warfare and not get decimated by the enemy. Now, our, our, what we fight against is not flesh and blood, it's not people, but it's a spiritual battle. So let me unpack some intel for you on the devil. Now, if you're with us at other times, you know that the vast majority of the time we're talking about the goodness of God, and we're lifting up the name of Jesus. That should be our focus, and honestly, there's not a ton in Scripture about the devil, but it's important for us to understand him and his schemes so that we can stand against his ploys in our life. So first of of all, point number one on the devil, Satan was originally an angel who was kicked out of heaven. Some people go, well, why would God create such an evil force? Well, God actually created Lucifer as an angel. So we'll see this in Isaiah 14. It says, how you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. You see, point two is, the devil was actually the most beautiful angel, but he, came, he became proud. He wasn't content to worship the Lord. He said, I want to rise above the Lord. I want the same worship of God. I want to be praised. I want, it was a very selfish and prideful stance, and so he was thrown down. Listen to this in Ezekiel 28. It says this, that the sovereign Lord says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. And then he goes on to list all the stones. And then it says this, you were anointed as guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. Satan was a beautiful angel, but his heart became proud and wickedness was filled in him. And so it says, so I threw you to earth and made you a spectacle of you before the kings. And, and Jesus, point number three about Satan, Jesus was actually there. And he says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So an angel, beautiful, sets itself up against God and then he's thrown down along with a third of the other angels. And so that was what brings us to point number two of this message. There is such a thing as angels and demons. Such a thing as angels and demons. Now we know from Hebrews Chapter 1, the angels are this wonderful thing. You see them throughout the Scripture coming and giving messages to people. But Hebrews 1 talks about angels being ministering spirits sent to help those who follow God. Demons, on the other hand, are a very destructive force. They're very harmful. Uh, 
the, the church often doesn't talk about demons, and I think it's so important because so oftentimes people just think, well, what's wrong with me? Or why am I experiencing this pain or this frustration? Or you're walking down the street and you experience someone and, and they're absolutely messed up and, and, and we don't realize, no, that's actually demonic affliction on the person. I've done this in each of the services. The response has been amazing. How many in this room would say, I've either been afflicted and hurt by demons, or I've encountered people in my life that I thought that certainly was demonic affliction affecting them? Just raise your hand. Just a show of hands. Look, it's almost everyone, right? But this is something we've got to address as the church because Jesus spent so much of his time setting people free from demons. The reason that the enemy doesn't want us to believe in demons is he wants to keep in secret so we can continue to hurt people. When Jesus has purchased our freedom, look at this in Mark chapter 9. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, who was possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. You see, demons just want to destroy people's life. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. They could not. Oh, you unbelieving in generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy down into convulsion. Right? These are things we just see living in this world. So we need to understand this is actually the devil trying to destroy people through demonic affliction. So watch this. Watch how Jesus deals with it. I command you, come out of him. And never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus can set a person free no matter how bad the demonic affliction is. And he gives the power and authority to his people, the church. I love seeing people set free from demonic affliction. So now let's take a, an even deeper look. So we believe that there's a God and there's a devil. We believe in angels and demons. But then there's three types of warfare that come into humans' lives. As you live, there are three types of warfare that we want to unveil. Here it is found in Ephesians 2. You'll hear theologians talk about it in three ways. We'll dissect this first. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and the way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Say world. Warfare comes through the world. Number two, it says, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Say ruler. Okay, the ruler of the air who's the spirit at work in those who are disobedient, that is the devil. So we have the world, the devil, and then lastly, it says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, say flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The three enemies that come to destroy us, that we all experience warfare from, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's unpack those one by one. One, war warfare comes through the world. Now, for some, that's a surprise because we brought up to just think, oh, the world is great, right? We are the world. We are the children. The world, it's such a great place. And especially when you live in San Diego, right? We got Coronado Beach. We got Balboa. We got the zoo, for crying out loud. Can I just tell you, yes, God uses creation to display his glory. But have you also noticed you turn on the news 
And you're like, oh my goodness, this world can be a dangerous, wicked, destructive place. Why is that? Listen to what Romans 8 says. It says, for the creation, that's the world, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hopes that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. All right, if you notice, your body eventually decays. All things end up dying and decaying. Why is there sickness in the world? Why is there disease in the world? Why is there famine in this world? Why are there disasters in this world? Why is there genocide? Why is there racism? It's because of the fall of man brought sin, and it didn't just affect us individually. It affects the whole world. And so we, as we live in this world, we are affected. There is warfare coming at us through the destruction and the corruption of the world. Number two, warfare comes through our flesh. Warfare comes through our flesh. One of the mantras of the last probably 50, 60 years in America is, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, then do it. That's just a natural desire. Can I actually tell you that your desires have actually been skewed by sin? And so our flesh often craves things that are sinful, and then sin actually brings destruction. Listen to this from James chapter 1. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after this desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So the church fathers tried to help us understand, okay, so what are these desires that creep up in us that actually are bent on destroying us? And so uh, Evagrius, one of the desert fathers, and then John Cassian uh, in his book, The Institutes, actually highlighted seven deadly sins, right? And, and I show these to you not because these sins are, are the ones that are going to send you straight to hell and other sins won't. No, all sin separates us from God. And Jesus paid for all sin on the cross, and we get salvation by grace, by believing in him, not by being perfect. But the church fathers helped us understand these sins because these sins are things that our flesh longs after, and it brings destruction into our life. So let me explain them. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. If you think about it, all of them are an excess or they are running after something that is good, but outside of the confines that God sets for us. So, let's take pride, for example. It's great to have a good self-esteem, to have a, a godly self-confidence. I want my children to have that. I try to raise them with that. But when it becomes selfish, and when it's outside of who we are in Christ, and we start trying to have all kinds of other things so that we can feel better than other people, and so that we can make the world revolve around us, that becomes a pride. And that's the very kind of pride that caused Satan, the beautiful angel, to be banished from heaven. Let's take greed. It's so good to have what you need. The Bible says, my God will supply your every need. One of the blessings in the Old Testament, right? People followed God. They got more sheep. It was great, right? And God said, I'm going to bring you into a land of milk and honey, right? Some of you lactose intolerant, he would have given you almond milk. But uh, 
God would bless people with the material things they needed to survive. And when they had more than enough, they could share and, and bless all other types of people. So that's not bad. But it's when it becomes greedy, when it becomes all about me and hoarding. And I want more and more. And the more I have, the more important I am. That becomes greedy. Or how about lust? Right? Sex. What a great thing. Right? Amen. Okay. Uh, but outside of godly confines, it's destructive. It's much like fire. Fi a fire in the fireplace on those frigid San Diego nights. Who doesn't love it, right? Uh, a fire that you can cook food on, right? Fire is an energy source that brings us so much blessing. But fire outside of the proper confines, it becomes a wild fire, that destroys home, property, lives, right? Fire within the right confines. These are things, gifts in the right confines, sexuality. But when it becomes lust and it becomes selfish and perverted, it destroys lives. And so it's very important for us to know that God's giving us power to receive his good gifts in a holy and righteous manner. But then when we sow things and according to our flesh, what it does is it comes up as sin, and sin always brings destruction. It always brings destruction. So one of the ways that we fight our warfare is we cling to God's power in resisting temptation. It's one of the great forms of warfare as believers. The last type of warfare that we want to talk about this morning is warfare that comes through the devil. Here's what the Bible says. John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says this, I've come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. My heart was broken a couple weeks ago. I'm on a, a flight back. I'm sitting in these three seats, and I look over to the three seats across the aisle, and I see a, a sweet young woman open up a book that said Satanic Prayers. And she's just studying it. And I so wanted to be able to say something, but I'm, I'm in these seats. She's over here. I so wanted, in some ways, to be sitting next to her to go, dear one, like, don't read that. I know you think it's going to bring answers. I know you think it's going to bring you power. But in the end, Satan only wants to use you, and he's only going to destroy you. Can I just tell you that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy? I want my kids to know that Satan is the one person that it's legal to hate. With all your heart, you can hate Satan. That's the one person you have permission to hate. Why? Because he only wants to destroy. Anytime you start feeling temptation and you start thinking, oh, this is actually going to bring me satisfaction, you've got to say, no, in the end, this is only going to steal from me. Like, I actually had the thought as a kid, I was like, man, I, I wish I didn't know God so early so I could do all these bad things. Can I just say, thank you, God, that I knew him early? Because he saved me from so much, and I'm so bummed of the ways that I was deceived to sow to the flesh because it only brings death, and it only brings destruction. Don't ever be deceived that sowing into sin is actually going to bring fulfillment. It only, the enemy's only plan is to give you momentary pleasure to bring you lasting destruction. That's how he works. So let's just unveil some of his schemes in Genesis and looking how he comes to tempt Adam and Eve. Let's look at through new lenses today. 
says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but the Lord God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You'll certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So several things to unpack about Satan here first. Number one, you don't have to go out looking for the enemy. He comes and finds you. Right? Yeah, um, I spent a lot of time hiking and running trails out in East County. And two times this week, I've been running, and all of a sudden, I'm jumping through the air because I'm hearing, and, and have a big rattlesnake coiling up to strike me. I didn't go chasing after it. I wasn't sticking my hand down snake holes and chomping through the brush. I was just minding my own business on the trail, trying to stay in shape, right? And all of a sudden, boom, the snake is coiled up ready to strike me. Can I just tell you that the enemy's coming after you? You can't just think, oh, if I just keep my head down and just mind my own business and live a quiet life, that the enemy's not coming. No, he is coming after you. The, the Bible says that he stalks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Welcome to church. <clears throat> Number two, there, there's, there are two primary ways that Satan attacks. One is through accusation. Accusation. The first thing he does is he accuses the character of God. He accuses the character of God. Did God really say this? God doesn't mean this. He's not really. Actually, he's holding out from you. Can I just, I, I want to expose this to you. When you start doubting God's goodness, that's not you. That's the enemy lying to you. When you start having the question, will God really take care of me? Can I just tell you, that's a demonic attack against your mind. When you start having the thought, should I really follow God's way or should I do my own way? I did it my way. That's a demonic song. <laughs> we all thought, oh, that's such a sweet song. No, that's a demonic song. Don't do it your way. That leads to death. Your way is the devil's way. God's way is the way that leads to life. He wants to bless you. He's a loving father who wants to take care of you. So when you have those lies, I'm not going to do God's way, you got to say, no, that's from hell. I won't go my way. Right? That's wrong. Was that Frank Sinatra? You're wrong, Sinatra. Right? I'm not saying he's a bad guy. He just sang a demonic song. He accuses the character of God. He works overtime to accuse. When you start having questions about the, the character of God, just know that that's from the enemy. Number two, he accuses you. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. When you're, when you're walking around and you start having this negative line of thought, like I'll never measure up, I'm never good enough, I'll never be a good mom, I'll never be a good dad, I don't have what it takes, I'll never have a good job, I, I, can't, I can't work well at school, I always mess up friendships. Can I just tell you, that's not from you. That's the accuser of the brethren. That's the accuser of the brothers and sisters speaking to you. That's the devil. And you just say no in Jesus' name. I bind you, Satan, in Jesus' name from speaking to my mind like that. We have to recognize when it's the enemy and you stop just thinking there's just something wrong with me. No, that's every person on earth deals with accusation in their mind. The second thing he does is he comes at us through temptation. So accusation and temptation. So watch this. 
says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took something and ate it. The devil didn't come in the garden and say, Eve, come and join me in Satanism. No. She'd have been like, ooh, that's gross. No, I'm, I'm fine here in the garden eating my, you know, organic salad and wearing my birthday suit. Uh, but he says this. He says, this, this food, look how good it is. Look at this fruit. It's good for food. It's going to be pleasing to your senses. Then he said, and then she sees how it's pleasing to the eyes. And then it's desirable for gaining wisdom. This is the classic attack of the enemy. There's three ways, three primary ways he tempts you. Look at it in 1 John. It says this, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, now cross-examine that with the way that the enemy attacked. The lust of the eyes. She looks at the fruit, and it was a beautiful fruit. Can I just tell you, you have to guard your eyes living in this world. Like, you can't just let your eyes wander in this world. You're just driving down the highway, just trying to get to work, and all of a sudden there's a billboard with a half-naked person on it. And don't look up, because the enemy's trying to draw you. So you got to look up the billboard and say, that's from hell. <laughs> billboard, go back to hell, right? Right, or, or you're just, you are just, I mean, have you ever just, you're watching the most, like, sweet, benign thing on TV, and then the next ad, you're like, ah! it's like Satan came into your TV. Sometimes you just need to rebuke your TV, <laughs> right? I bind you, TV, in Jesus' name, right? Uh, here's a great way to do it. Just uh, use the clicker, right? Just change the channel, right? Don't, don't just fall prey to everything that's put in front of you. And then be wise. Some of us pay money to get slimed at the movie theater. Don't do it. Just decide I'm not going to watch demonic stuff. Ooh, that's a novel idea. Right? Um, a horror movie, let me just, I'm going to help some of you. A horror movie is not from Jesus. So don't watch it. I, I meet so many people who are so afflicted and are dealing with nightmares and, and they actually have physical manifestations of pain, and I'll say, um, so what have you been watching lately? Well, I was watching this massacre, and you know, and I'm like, huh, do you think that was from God? No, and, I, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, wake up. Like, stop letting stuff in through your eyes. You'd never have a, a mass murder outside and, and leave your windows open. But the Bible says your eyes are the window to the soul. So we got to guard our eyes. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully on, on a young woman. So men, women, let's cover our eyes. Secondly, the lust of the flesh, right? The world says, hey, if it feels good, do it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do because it brings destruction into your life. And so, yeah, the fruit was great to taste, but man, it brought death. And, and, and he's like, you know, it, Eve, this isn't going to kill you. Um, liar. Has anyone met Eve lately? No, she's dead. <laughs> Adam and Eve are dead, folks. 
right? That's where that good tasting fruit led them. And lastly, the pride of life, uh, desirable for gaining wisdom. One of the things that causes us to go into temptation is we're like, oh, that, that'll make me look good. Or if I do that, then I'll feel good about myself. And instead of trusting God to stamp identity on us, it's, we're still putting fig leaves on us. See, because what happened is it says in Genesis 3, 1, it says, so she also gave some to her husband. Oh, this isn't a 3, 1. This is down further. It says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So instead of just being okay, made in the image of God, all of a sudden they're like, ah, and it brought shame into their life. That's one of the greatest things that sin does, is it brings shame into our lives. And, and, and it, we, we're thinking it's going to satisfy, and instead it just starts warping us more and more, and you start hating your life more and more, and you stop liking who you are more and more, and all of a sudden you think it's a great idea to wear a leaf around, right? Eve's like, hey, if I put on this leaf mini skirt, I'm all good, right? And that's what we continually do. We're continually looking for things to put on ourselves, this clothes, this new style, this car, if I just have this house, if I just have this job title, if I just am this popular, they're all fig leaves. We look so foolish. We just have a leaf walking around. Hey, nice leaf. My leaf's nicer than yours, right? But that's what they are. Then the man and the wife, this is the saddest part. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? You see, sin breaks our fellowship with God. The main reason I don't want to, to walk into sin is because I want just complete moment-by-moment fellowship with God. Have you ever noticed that when you sin, all of a sudden you feel like you have to hide from God? You're like, I probably should take a couple days off from God. Uh, and, and, you know, we kind of act like, you can't see me, you know. God of the universe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, now, let me just tell you this. It's not by us being perfect that allows us to have friendship with God. No, Jesus paid the price when he died on the cross to wash you of all sin. But don't believe the, the other lie that some churches teach that it's like, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. This is all under grace, so it doesn't matter how you live. You're heading to heaven, so you can live like hell. That's a lie. Because our bodies are the temple. And so as we commit, now we'll never be perfect, but as we commit to honor God, we host his presence. You're always forgiven, made clean. But I actually want to be a person who can walk moment by moment in hand with the presence and the power of God. Oh, what a joy. What a pleasure to actually get to have that communion with him. And that's why I want to stay free from sin. That's why I say no to the warfare coming through my flesh and coming through this world is because I just want to host his presence moment by moment because he's so good. Here's the, the great news. This is how, how I want to end. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And then he says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. I've actually taken them back from Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and I'm handing them to you, my church. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you bound in heaven will be bound here on 
earth. And so we are in the, per, in the, in the whole journey of reestablishing his kingdom, his kingdom of love, of truth, of grace, of purity, of holiness. Why don't you stand up with me? So I want to finish this morning. I want to just show you this, this prayer. These are just scriptures and, and points from scriptures lined together, but we use the tools of confession and repentance in order to come against the warfare that comes against us. If we can put this prayer up. And today as I've been talking about warfare coming from the, the world and warfare coming from the desires of our flesh, different thought patterns, different sins we walk into, I just want you to think for a minute, God, is there an area of my life that I need to walk free of? Now I want to encourage you this weekend we're having Freedom Day, and hundreds and hundreds of people of our, have, in our church have been through it. I want to I invite everyone. I'd love for everyone in our church to go through this because it, we appropriate, we take uh, a whole morning to appropriating all these different tools. And I've never talked to someone who didn't say, I walked out feeling more free and more joyful in the Lord. Jesus paid for your freedom. But this morning, let's, let's just put this back up. I want you to think for a minute, is there an area of life that you know that you've been experiencing a lot of warfare and that you've probably partnered with so that you can confess that? When you confess, you agree with God that something's wrong. And when you repent, you turn away from it. Just think for a second. Close your eyes. Just think for a second. Okay, and whatever came to mind, I want, I want to read this prayer out loud. And when we come to the blank, you can just say it under your breath, that area of your life, the, maybe the sin struggle that you've been in, that you want to confess to the Lord. And then we'll keep reading it together. So can we read this out loud in a strong voice of faith right now? Let's read it together. God, I confess I have given into. God, I repent. I turn away from this sin. God, I renounce this sin. I want no part of it. I choose to turn toward you and walk in your light. Let's put up the next part of this. Let's read this together. I ask now that you would forgive me and wash me clean. Please lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil. Let me just pray over you, church. Father, I thank you that you've given us power over the enemy. You've given us power over temptation. You've given us power over sin. And so we appropriate that power through the cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ today. And I thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us to be a victorious church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit and the freedom that's been purchased by Jesus. I bless my friends today in that truth and knowledge. Can I just have some prayer team come forward right now?